Hello again. Just a moment. Well, could it be that Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in the whole Bible? Uh, if you ask a Christian, what's your favorite chapter or what's your favorite verse of the Bible? What's the memory verse that comforts you? What's the verse that keeps you going in your faith? If you ask someone that question, chances are they will say something from Romans 8. Yes, they might say John 3.16 or yes, they might say an obscure verse in the Old Testament if they're an obscure kind of person. Uh, but just listen to some of these loved and cherished verses from Romans 8. These are some of the verses we have seen last week or two weeks ago and we will see in the coming week. Uh, Here's what Paul says. These are all from Romans 8. He says, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. He says, there is, he says, we have the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. He says, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. He says, all things work for the good of those who love God. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He says, if God didn't spare his own son but gave him for us, how will he not also give us everything? He says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. All those famous and deeply encouraging words come from Romans 8, this chapter that we're exploring over three Sundays. Is it the greatest chapter in the whole Bible? I'll let you decide. But there's another famous verse in Romans 8. Uh, I didn't mention it just then, but we did just read it out. Uh, So look down at verse 18 with me. Romans 8, verse 18. Do you know these words? For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Now, no wonder this is one of those famous verses in Romans. But I wonder, what's your gut response to that verse? How does it make you feel? What's your, what's your first reaction to a statement like that? Your first reaction might be, I don't know what that's really saying. Uh, I'm confused, and that's fine. We're here to understand what it means. Uh, so stay tuned. But my hope is that for many of us, our first response is, Amen, Paul. Yes, our present suffering and this life is not all there is. We have a glorious future to look forward to, uh, eternal life with our Lord Jesus, full of joy and peace. I can't wait for that day. Come, Lord Jesus. But I wonder if for some of us, or at least maybe like a part of us, when we read a verse like that, our first reaction is, how can you say that, Paul? Or or even how dare you say that, Paul, because my suffering is huge and it overwhelms me. Paul, are you really saying my suffering is so insignificant that it's not worth comparing to that glory? Maybe you feel like Paul trivializes your struggles. Well, today, the goal is for us to dig into this passage, see what it says. So let's pray for God's help. Heavenly Father, we know your word is good, so please help us to hear it and receive it with thanks. And please let it do the work you want it to do in our hearts and minds and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So come with me now. Please have your Bible open to Romans 8 and your outline there. It's worth saying again that you can't be a casual reader of the book of Romans. You must work hard as you look at Romans. You don't get the treasure unless you dig. You have to sweat 
I know it's a hot day, but you've, you've got to sweat as we read Romans 8. So have a look at the outline there. You'll see our first point. The first thing we're going to do is look at verse 18 because verse 18 is like the summary or the heading for the rest of the passage. So what we're going to do is spend a lot of time just on verse 18 and then we'll look at the rest of the passage or the other verses a bit more quickly. Okay? So let's read it again. Verse 8, sorry, Romans 8, verse 18. That is hard to get your, get your mouth around, isn't it? Here's what he says. For I consider that the present sufferings of this... Sorry, let's start again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Now, what's Paul talking about here? What are the big things he's talking about? Well, he's comparing two things, isn't he? He actually says don't compare them. But he holds two things for us. Two things for us to see and to think about. What are they? Look at the verse again. Number one... The sufferings of this present time. And number two, the glory that's going to be revealed to us. He's holding these two things up for us to think about. Suffering and glory. Now why is he talking about these things? Why is he talking about suffering? Why is he talking about glory? It's because he's trying to show the he's been trying to show us something in these recent chapters of Romans. So if you look back at verse 16 and 17, that was the end of the passage that we looked at two weeks ago. What did we see there? Verse 16, we saw the wonder that if we have the Spirit of God, if we've turned to Jesus, if we have come to know Him, then we are God's children. That's an incredible blessing. We have this amazing privilege of being able to call on God as our Father. And verse 17, that makes us heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus. Because we're God's sons and Jesus is our brother, we have an inheritance on the way, it says. We are heirs. We have the guarantee of eternal life when Jesus returns and makes all things new. But did you see the little bit at the end of that verse? Verse 17, did you see it? We're heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Seeing that, or provided that, we suffer with him, Jesus so that we may be glorified with him. What's that about? Well, it's simply saying that if you are united with Jesus, you will suffer with him. You will suffer like he did. You will suffer with him in this life just as he did. And if you press on in your faith, if you persevere even through that suffering, you will be glorified like him on the last day. So the path to eternal glory on the last day is persevering in faith even through suffering the suffering we can face as christians so it's suffering now glory later so verse 17 mentions that idea suffering and glory and so in verse 18 well he just keeps talking about it. he expands on that idea that's why he's talking about it and that's and you see this is what he's been trying to do in recently in the chapters we've been looking at in romans what is paul trying to do in chapters 7 and 8 He's trying to show us about what is true now, but also what is not yet. So these chapters are about the fact that, yes, we have been saved now, if we are Christian. We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God, reconciliation, redemption, the, the forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit in us. We have incredible blessings from God now, but there are amazing blessings of salvation that are not yet. So think back a few weeks ago to chapter 7 
Uh, Yes, we're free from slavery to sin. Yes, we're free from the condemnation of the law, but there's still a war within us. There's still a struggle with sin. Paul says, what a wretched man I am, and we're wretched too. We don't do the good things that we want to do, but instead we do the sin that we don't want to do. God will save us from our bodies of death, of sin, but not until the Lord returns. Or think back to our last passage, uh, chapter 8, the beginning. Uh, We have the Holy Spirit. A great transformation has taken place inside us, but the body is dead because of sin. And that day when God brings our mortal bodies to life, it lies in the future still. Present suffering and struggle with sin and then future glory. That's what Paul's trying to get us to get, the tension between those two things. So that takes us back to verse 18. See, he holds up these two things, suffering and glory, but what does he actually say about them? And what are they? My clicker is not playing nicely. So can we go to the next one, please? That'd be great. See, what are those sufferings? Look at verse 18 closely again with me. The sufferings he's talking about are, what does he say? He says, they are of this present time. And the only other time he mentions is the time of glory, eternity, when Jesus returns. And so the sufferings of this present time are any and all suffering that we experience in the here and now, in this life, as we live in this fallen age and fallen world. In, it's the suffering we've experienced since Genesis 3. And in the next few verses, Paul shows us that. He talks about the creation being subject to futility and corruption and decay. We live sin-cursed lives in a sin-cursed world. So that's the suffering on the one hand. What about the glory? What's the glory? Verse 18 says it's the glory that's going to be revealed to us. So it's future glory, as we've seen. It's looking forward to the day when Jesus returns, and there are many things that will be glorious on that day. But I wonder, does he have something in particular in mind? A particular glorious thing? I think he does. So what is that glory that will be revealed to us? We're going to look at a few verses, so have a look down at your Bible. You'll see, look at verse 19. The creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. God's children, his people in Christ, will be made visible and clear on that day. Well, look at verse 21. It says, The creation itself will also be set free from the bondage of corruption and into the glorious freedom of God's children. God's people, we will experience freedom on that day. Now, what are those things hinting at? I think the answer is in verse 23. Look at verse 23. Partway through, Paul says... We, Christians, also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So putting that together, what is the glory that will be revealed to us? It's being raised like Jesus was raised. See, remember verse 17, we suffer with Jesus so that we might be glorified with him, like him. And how was Jesus glorified? He was raised from the dead. That's the glory that's going to be revealed to us. We're waiting for the fullness of our adoption. 
when our bodies are redeemed, free from sin and death and raised with a glorious body like Jesus' glorious body, a new body that the Spirit brings to life, not a body of death that struggles with sin. That's the glorious freedom of God's children. Freedom from from our dying, sin-affected bodies. That's how God's sons will be revealed on the last day. That's what our hope is as Christians. Look at verse 24. Paul says, Now in this hope we were saved. We were saved when we first put our trust in Jesus, when we believed God's promises. It was credited to us as righteousness, Romans says. But we don't have it all yet, do we? We were saved for and with a future hope, a future glory. God will rescue us from dead, sin-stained bodies, prone to wandering and temptation, and he'll give us new glorious bodies like Jesus' risen body. Okay, back to verse 18 again. Paul says, yes, verse 17, yes, we will suffer with Jesus just as he did, but verse 18, that suffering... That suffering is nothing, nothing compared to the future glory, to the glory that's going to be revealed to us, he says. He says there isn't even a comparison that can be made. Our present suffering, our future glory, you can't draw a line between the two of them because they're too far apart. Why is that? Well, it's because our future glory, it's the last piece in the puzzle of our salvation. It's God doing away with this body of sin and death and clothing us with a body for eternity, fit to live in God's new creation forever, free from death and decay and sin and pain and anything that the curse of sin has brought on us. See, it might be hard to imagine or to grasp now, but our suffering, no matter how hard it is, no matter how much of it there is, our present suffering is not worth comparing to our future glory, the hope that God has in store for those who accept Jesus, his son. The glory of that day is beyond what we could possibly imagine. The day Jesus returns and he raises us to be like him, we can only begin, we we can't even just begin to, to fathom how glorious that day will be. So praise God for the joy and rejoicing and the wonder and the glory that will make all our suffering pale in comparison. Do you believe that? I pray we do. Now, that's a great encouragement. I hope you find it a great encouragement. Uh, But what do we do now in the meantime? What do we do with that truth for now? See, as Christians, what do we do until that day of glory and resurrection of life? That's actually what the rest of the passage is about. Now, we've spent a a lot of time on verse 18. I said we would do that. Uh, It's the key verse here. But now we're not going to spend as long on the rest of the passage. We're just going to draw a few things out of the rest of the verses. So what do we do in the meantime as we wait for the day of glory? There's a few things that we do in the meantime as Christians. The first one is we groan. Verse 19 and 20 and 21, Paul talks about creation groaning. This world that we live in groans out of futility and corruption. That's what we see in the world today, isn't it? All creation is under the curse of sin. And so the weather and the seas and the land fall into chaos and turmoil all the time. 
We have destructive storms, raging seas, and we have earthquakes. These are like labor pains before Jesus returns and restores and renews creation and brings a new creation fit for eternity. Even creation groans longing for that glory to come. But closer to home for us, if you look at verse 23 again, we see Paul says that we as Christians groan within ourselves. You're meant to groan if you're a Christian. Earlier in the year, I uh, preached a sermon on the sin of grumbling and whinging. Uh, But there is such thing as godly grumbling. Or better put, godly groaning. Because it's not groaning that comes from spite or discontentment and raging against God. No, it's more that yearning spirit that longs for our present suffering to end, that longs for the glorious future God has promised to arrive. And that makes sense, right? You know, when you go through pain in this life and you know the end is coming, uh, you can see light at the end of the tunnel, you groan, you yearn for that relief This here is groaning towards God in that kind of way, longing for him to fulfill his word. Look at how Paul puts it in verse 23. He says, And not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the first fruit, so this is the Holy Spirit working in us, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Do you love how Paul puts it there? Uh, The Spirit is the first fruits of the harvest, he says. And the redemption of our bodies, that is the fullness of the harvest. The fact that we have the Spirit living in us now, well, that means that the glory to come, being raised with Jesus, is guaranteed. Our hope and our confidence is that God will finish the job. If he's given us his Spirit now, then he will raise us on the last day. But we groan as we wait, don't we? Because now we suffer and struggle with sin and we long for that freedom and for things to end and for glorious, redeemed, renewed bodies. You see, this passage, it doesn't belittle or trivialize our suffering and struggles. It actually validates them. Our present suffering makes us groan and despair, yes, but we know the encouragement is the glory to come is incomparable. And our suffering now, it it makes us yearn and long all the more for that day of glory when Jesus returns. And so it makes us lean on God more in our struggles. That's what this groaning is talking about. Do you groan? Do you yearn for the glory to come? Or do you grumble against him instead? Or worse still, are you just so focused on the things of this life that you're, you're too busy to notice that there's a glory to come and that you groan and yearn for it. Paul turns our hearts and our minds here, our eyes, to the future hope, the hope of glory. That will produce godly groaning in us. That's the first thing we do. We groan, but the second thing we do is we eagerly wait. So did you notice Paul say that a few times? Look at verse 23 again, halfway through. He says, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Or look at verse 25. But if we wait, sorry, but if we hope for what we do not yet see, we eagerly wait with patience. Same words, both times. Eagerly wait. Now, what is this not talking about? This is not talking about waiting in the doctor's waiting room. 
Uh, you know when you're a little bit sick, sick enough that you need to see the doctor and get a script for antibiotics or something, and what do you do? You sit there in the waiting room, and, and you're hungry, and you're bored, and you're tired, and you're fidgety, and you kind of stare into space, or you just stare into your phone, and it feels pointless, and you just want to get out of there. That's not eagerly waiting, is it? No, what this is talking about, it's more like kids on Christmas Eve who, who just can't stop talking and thinking about the presents. <laughs> or it's like being apart from your family. And so you deeply miss them. You just want to wrap your arms around them. You can't wait to see them again. You are focused. You are yearning for that thing that you are waiting for. Our hope as Christians is eternal life with bodies free from sickness and death and pain, how can we not eagerly wait for that glory, looking forward with, long, with longing? Are you eagerly waiting for the glory to come when Jesus returns, for, for redeemed bodies that he will give us? But did you notice Paul also said, we wait uh, with patience. And the sense of this is waiting with endurance or perseverance, it's not giving up when it feels like it's taking too long. Uh, think about this. Have, have you ever lined up to get some takeaway lunch, you know, at a, just a, a burger shop or something like that, and, and you're waiting in line there, but the line is just, it's just too long. And the staff are just incredibly slow. And you're just standing there thinking, this is a waste of time. So what do you do? You just, you just give up and walk away. You'd rather go hungry. Maybe you're not as impatient as me. Now imagine that, that this place you're lined up for is your favorite food establishment let's just imagine that it's a fresh juicy eljana's meal that you're waiting for Uh, you'll persevere even if the line is long even if the service is slow you'll wait because you just want to taste that chicken or the garlic sauce or the pickles i love the pickles see as christians we eagerly wait with patience with perseverance with endurance we don't give up on jesus We don't walk away and throw our faith away. Why? Because our hope is worth waiting for. Being raised with Jesus, it's not worth giving up on. So will you persevere as you wait for that day of glory? But the wonder of this passage is that even as we suffer and even as we groan, God hasn't left us alone. He gives us help. He gives us comfort as we wait for his glory to come. It's in verse 26. Verse 26 is just one of those incredible, hard-to-wrap-your-head-around verses of the Bible. But it's wonderful. Look at verse 26 with me. He says, In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. You see the pattern, creation groans, we groan, and the spirit in us groans. And it's hard to wrap our heads around, but what it's saying is this, that when we are struggling and weak, that when when we are struggling so much that we don't know what to pray for in our suffering or in our sin, when we're like the psalmist of Psalm 43 in turmoil and depression, the Holy Spirit in us groans and prays on our behalf to God the Father. That's a bit out there. But that idea is just meant to fill us with comfort. Because in our deepest struggles, 
God is for us. God is with us. God is in us. And the Spirit in us prays on our behalf for the things that we need, the struggles we have. But he also prays perfectly aligned with God's will. And so there's no tension between us and God. The Spirit intercedes between us and God. What a wonderful mystery. Do you draw comfort from that truth? I pray we all do. Because actually, that's what this passage is all about. It's about our comfort and our assurance as God's precious people. It's meant to assure us that our struggle in this life is normal and that God has given us a great hope, His Spirit in us, to help us get to that day of future glory. It's this hope and this assurance that helps us keep persevering in faith now through the present suffering. So do you groan? Do you eagerly wait? Are you waiting with perseverance for that day of glory to come? And do you, like Paul, consider that your present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us? See, no wonder Romans 8 is a a favorite for so many of us. Let's finish again with that wonderful verse, verse 18 again. And I want us to read it and then take those words on for ourselves. Let's make them not just Paul's words, but our own. I'll read it out for us. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Amen.